Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Speak to me about the mercies of God, and I'll agree with you all day long. But when you start speaking of following Jesus and that I need to take up my cross, I need to deny myself, I need to consider myself dead, oh, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. You see, that's the way the world is. It's easy to speak about God in the world. You speak about Jesus, that's going to bring conflict. Jesus understood that the greatest temptation for his disciples back then as well as even today is to either compromise the truth or to keep the truth quiet to satisfy the masses and to relieve any persecution on their lives. Have you ever noticed that people don't mind if you talk about God or His love as long as you don't mention the name of Jesus? It's been that way since the beginning. The name of Jesus brings offense, even to some who claim to follow Him but want to avoid conflict. As Pastor David shares today, if we only speak of the love and mercies of God but leave out the reality of sin, we run the risk of misinterpreting the truth. God will hold us accountable to the measure of truth we are given. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, Friends Speak the Truth. who by faith live a life of communion with God cannot but know more of his mind than other people. They have a better insight than others into what is present and a better foresight of what is to come. Jesus told his disciples that he would reveal to them the plans. As our friendship with God grows and and deepens, the Lord reveals to us more and more. But just as Christ had enemies in this world, guess what? You and I as his friends will have enemies in this world. You and I are going to have enemies in this world. Why? Because the scriptures promised it. That's not a saying that you put on your uh, kitchen uh, table that you pull out every morning and and, uh, uh, read the promises of God. I don't think it's in that group. But it is a promise of God that if you are one of his disciples, you will have persecution in this world. But thing we need to know. It needs to be so mindful in our thoughts. We need to put it on post-it notes. We need to put it on the refrigerator and on the mirror in the bathroom. We need to remember these things. The fact is, is truth isn't popular. You can just put that on your brain. Truth is not popular. As a matter of fact, it's becoming more extinct in our day and time. The politicians shy away from it, or they twist it, or they deny it. The media do all that they can to hide it or to prevent it. The devil himself is known as what? The father of all lies. The unrighteous run from it. And those who live in and enjoy the darkness, they'd rather believe the lie than the truth. 
So when you and I, we begin to live our lives as friends of God, and we become vocal in our declaration of that uncompromising word of God, and we speak about not only his love, but we also speak of his judgment. We speak of his grace and his mercy, but we also speak of his holiness and his righteousness. Then we shouldn't be surprised when people don't want to hear us. And they say, you know, no, I don't want to hear that. Are you surprised that the world isn't knocking down the door to hear truth? It's the words of a popular movie from years ago when Tom Cruise asked Jack Nicholson. He says, we want to know the truth. And Nicholson says, you can't handle the truth. The problem is, is the world doesn't want to handle the truth. They don't want to receive the truth because they know that when the truth is spoken, now they're responsible for it. Jesus came with this gentleness, with this meekness, with this peace and speaking to the people. The multitudes flocked to him. He brought healing into their lives. He, he, he provided deliverance in their lives. He gave forgiveness into their lives. He declared himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. Very narrow-minded. Singular, the way, the truth, the life. And then he began to press people into that need to surrender their lives, to take up their cross daily and follow him, to walk humbly before man and God. And you know what? They ended up crucifying him. Oh, speak to me about the goodness of God and I'll talk to you all day long. Speak to me about the mercies of God and I'll agree with you all day long. But when you start speaking of following Jesus and that I need to take up my cross, I need to deny myself, I need to consider myself dead, oh, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. You see, that's the way the world is. It's easy to speak about God in the world. You speak about Jesus, that's going to bring conflict. Jesus understood that the greatest temptation for his disciples back then as well as even today is to either compromise the truth or to keep the truth quiet to satisfy the masses and to relieve any persecution on their lives. He knew that the disciples that first century and every century since then would be pressed to hold back the testimony of their lives, to have a very quiet, a very personal relationship with Christ. I'm a silent witness. I'm a secret agent of the cross. Nobody knows. Jesus was well aware of the fact that his followers, if they were faithful to proclaim that truth, if they, if they continued with the message, the reality, and the hope, the full message of the gospel, that they were going to face persecution. On the very night that he was betrayed, he shared with them those words, that in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Jesus knows that the very enemy of your souls is going to do everything that he can to silence your witness to God's grace in your life. But we need to remember, whatever the enemy does to us, whatever this world does to us, it will not, cannot, and it never will invalidate God's work of grace in our lives. You see, the enemy can come against us, but the grace of God continues on in our lives. He tells them there in, in verse 4, don't be afraid of those who kill the body and afterwards they have no more that they can do. But I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he is killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. 
But you know, for the child of God, that, that friend of God, the only thing that Satan can do is limited to this mortal life. All that he can do is limited to just this time. That's why the Apostle Paul gives those great words, those words of confidence, those words of encouragement to the church of Rome when he says, to who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or peril or sword or nakedness? As it's written, for your sake we are being killed all the day and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He goes on to say, no, in, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is our hope. That's our stand. That's the promise of God. And you and I, as friends of God, we need to be bold enough to be able to declare that and not be fearful of what the world will do. Well, they might shun me. Okay. They might say bad things about me. Okay. I can almost guarantee you with 100% certainty that none of you will be crucified your testimony in Christ. There may come a time, should the Lord tarry, that you and I might be beheaded. We don't know. But there's brothers and sisters of yours and mine who are being beheaded because they dare take a stand. How do we, in the freedom that we have, dare keep silent and pretend that we pray for those who are suffering? Jesus told them, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you're of more value than many sparrows. Think about this for a moment. God, who is now your friend instead of your judge, is your father instead of just your creator. He cares about you so tremendously. He knows everything about you. He knows everything everything about you. Yeah, even that. He knows everything about you. And yet his love endures. He knows all about you, and yet he still cares so deeply for you. He desires to be involved in every aspect of your life, and he'll stand by your side. He'll stand strong on your behalf. He continues on in verse 8. He says, so I say to you, Whoever confesses me before men, him, the Son of Man, also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Well, the very first thing we need to understand is the direction and the purpose of the statement that Jesus made. You really do need to understand that this is not a gain or lose your salvation issue. As strong as it is here, we need to see it in the context of all that he's saying. This is a declaration, actually, of the difference between the two people groups. Those who are believers, those who confess me before men, and those who are non-believers, those who deny me before men. I hope you understand, to get you really clear, we need to understand that anyone who becomes a true believer in Jesus Christ, anyone who is a true believer in Jesus Christ, you've already made a verbal confession of your faith. That has to be. 
Now, we need to continue to do that. But just as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, what does it say? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You must confess Christ. You must. Otherwise, you're not even born again. True believers have their lamp, and it's lit. And that's why Jesus said, man, don't hide that lamp. Get it out there. Let people see it. But those who are non-believers, they've never lit the lamp. They can hold it up as high as they want, but it's not lit. It's not doing any difference. With the right understanding, the interpretation of what this verse is saying, we know that the statement that he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God doesn't really deal with losing our salvation. Oh, I used to proclaim him, but now I, I'm not. That's not what he's dealing with here. All you have to do is look at the testimony of Peter. Remember Peter, one of the disciples, one of the apostles? Do you remember the situation in Peter's life? Peter denied the Lord. He denied the Lord there in that garden. That little milkmaid comes out. Wait, aren't you one of his? No, I'm not. Well, surely you're one of his. Your, your, your conversation gives you away. You're one of those. And the word says he began cursing. And he left the place saying, I do not know the man. Well, if denying the Lord in that way loses our salvation, then Peter is lost, okay? I don't believe that that's what he's speaking about here. Peter had to be restored, absolutely. He had to be restored, though, back to fellowship, not to relationship. He had to be restored back into fellowship, fellowship with Christ, fellowship with the body of Christ. And he was restored, and the rest of his life God used in a powerful way. Our God is a God of reconciliation. We see that throughout the scriptures, both Old Testament as well as New Testament. Men fail miserably. Amen? Amen. Oh, and so do women, by the way. I just want to make sure we're all inclusive here. And yet God always offers a way of reconciliation. And yeah, sometimes discipline comes with it. Amen? And sometimes we live with the consequences of those choices that we make. We're forgiven, but we still have consequences. Amen? Amen. But you've got to understand, those are issues of mortal life. Those are issues of now. It's not eternity with God, because when he forgives, he forgives to the uttermost. All sin is cleansed and washed away. Jesus gives further instruction, and in some of the things here, really, it's, it, may be hard to understand, but listen to what it says. In verse 10, he says, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, guess what? It'll be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. So the first part of this, we can pretty well wrap our head around. You, you can come against Jesus, and, and even as he did for those that nailed him to the cross, what did he say as he's hanging from the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But this thing called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, we'll look at that next week. So let's close in prayer. No. Uh, just want to make sure you're paying attention. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Jesus says it will not be forgiven. If you've ever thought about it, you need to understand how serious those words are. It will never be forgiven. First of all, let me say what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not. It's not some serious sin. It's not some failure within your life. 
It's not even the persistence of a particular sin in your life. It's not even uh, insulting or rejecting Jesus in blindness or in rebellion. Neither is it in the frustration of our life to cry out in anger to God. It's not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We see this warning of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The same, almost the same exact wording. And then in John uh, gives us where Jesus told his disciples that the Holy Spirit was going to come and the Holy Spirit's ministry here was going to be to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. If a man rejects that conviction, he shuts off to himself any hope of forgiveness. When the Holy Spirit comes and points out the fact that you are a sinner, and that judgment is coming, and you need to give your life to Christ, and the individual shuts that off. Sorry, there's no other thing available. There's nothing else left. This particular idea of blasphemy or rejection, that's regarded as this continued knowing and obstinate rejection of that drawing work of the Holy Spirit toward the impact and the message and the hope that's found in the gospel. That's why it's unpardonable. It's unpardonable because as long as an individual remains in unbelief, he voluntarily excludes himself from pardon. God provides no other means of forgiveness. They could never be forgiven because they were rejecting God's only method or means of salvation. Listen to what Paul tells the church in Antioch. In Antioch, in Acts chapter 13, we read that Paul and Barnabas had gone there. They had a great time of preaching the gospel on one Sabbath day there at the synagogue in Antioch. Man, they gave the whole message of salvation. And then they came back the next week, and on the Sabbath day, they went to the synagogue, and it says that, man, there was a multitude of people that came to listen to him preach, both Jews and Gentiles. And then in verse 45 of chapter 13 of Acts, we read, And then when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy, and they were contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. And then Paul and Barnabas grew bold, and they said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it, and you judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. They rejected the message. They considered themselves unworthy of everlasting life. The unforgivable sin is a conscious rejection of that good power and that evident work of God. One last word on this from Baker's Encyclopedia of the Bible, Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He says the definition is clear, that anyone who believes he or she has committed the unforgivable sin could not have done so, because a troubled conscience and that kind of sin could never coexist. You're concerned that you've committed the unforgivable sin? You probably haven't, and God is still waiting to show his forgiveness to you. If you don't care about the things of God, If you don't care the kind of life that you live, you reject the message of the gospel, you never bow your knee before God, that's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That's keeping the word of God out of your life, and there is no hope in that. 
The fact, he says here, the fact that a person feels remorse proves that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit has not yet been committed. Well, Jesus closes this little section off here, at least what we're going to look at this morning. Still a mixture of warning and encouragement given directly to his disciples. Look at verse 11. Now when they bring you to the synagogues and the magistrates and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that hour what you ought to say. That second portion of verse 11 and all of verse 12, that's one of the favorite verses of Christian high school students and college students and seminary students. Do I need to read it again? Particularly on test day, okay? When the exam comes, don't worry about how or what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will teach you what you need to say when you ought to say it. No, seriously, really and truly. Jesus knew that his followers were going to face persecution. He knew that they're going to be brought up on charges by the very same work of the enemy that very soon arrested him and crucified him. And after his resurrection and after the infilling of the Holy Spirit within the disciples' lives, they came to realize the truth of these words in their own lives. The book of Acts is that chronicled history of the persecution of the church, but it also chronicles the history of the power and the growth of the church. And it seemed that the more persecution was put on them, the stronger they became. We look at the persecution slight that's being put on the Christian faith today. And we cry and we whine and we groan and we write letters to our congressmen. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. What I'm saying is, baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. Should the Lord tarry, I believe that it could get much, much worse. Should the Lord tarry, there may be times that, again, for you to even speak of your faith in the workplace or outside the confines of this church could bring up charges against you. Hate speech? How much that is coming in today. Throughout history, over the past 2,000 years, some even today, the other side of the world, facing persecution because they dare name the name of Christ. Because they reject the things of this world or they reject false religions and they stand for the hope of the gospel. We see it already in our, in, in our own culture. We see it up in Canada even now. We see it in much of Europe even now. A limitation of how you declare your faith. You're foolish if you think it will not happen here. Beloved, if these are the end times, and I believe that they are, the Word of God promises us that in the last days, perilous times are going to come. Men will be deceivers, boasters, and proud blasphemers. And it's going to be harder and harder for you to take a stand for Christ. How do you think that you're going to keep up with the horsemen when you're not even able to keep up with the footman right now. If you're not faithful in your declaration of the fact that you are a friend of God, that you are a child of God, and here is the reality of the hope of the gospel. If you're not faithful in proclaiming that today, what makes you think that when the worst of times come, you'll stand up? Compromise is a lie of the enemy. Compromise will keep you quiet. And compromise gives honor and glory to the enemy. Open 
Learning more about Jesus is the single most important thing we can do as Christians. As we carefully consider how Jesus lived, we see beautiful examples that can apply to our lives. Though the entire Bible is rich with symbols and images that point to Jesus, the Gospels are grand central station for who Jesus is. Join us each day as Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the church website. Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.